A German billionaire, Ulrich Otto Schneider, is in his penthouse office in Panama City. He is completely stressed out. His heart flutters. He feels a pang of fear like never before. Not because of a business meeting. This is personal. He had picked the perfect heir, Karli Richter. And she might be coming back into the room to tell him that she did not want his money. Next to Vorich is a stack of papers. Karli had already signed these but Wolrich is sure that she will change her mind. And he could not give his money to his brother. So what do you do if you are stressed or sad or without courage or without hope? You sing a chicken song, even if you are a German billionaire. Our story today in part four starts with Wolrich's chicken song. Gebe, gebe, gutschla, ge, kichka, frau, Lai, schlach, lai, schlach, gebe, gitter, gocha, schlach, farben. Ach, ja, Vorich said. The chicken song made him feel better. Yes, he had a little bit of hope. Ach, Kent, he stared at the files. One by one by one last night she had signed the papers without reading a single one, not a word. They sat in the dimly lit room and she flipped through the pages where it needed her signature. All of these were marked by a red sticky arrow which read, sign here. Cardley flipped to that page and immediately signed. Flipped, signed, flipped, signed. Vorich said, You do not read the legal documents before signing? He said that after the first one. Oh, Kali said, I always do. I do. But this is different. This is not a high mortgage car interest payment and installments that I have to be accountable for. You're giving me things and you'll explain them, right? I will, he said. The night before, Vorich had to bite the inside of his cheek because she called everything in the files and folders things. If only she knew. In the bright daylight, he looked at the green file. That was Ecuador, the rose farms, with the most amazing colonial house. Ah, oh, the large, beautiful, colourful hummingbirds and the view of a, of a volcano. High in the mountains, so high up there, that the air was thin. And the rose farms with hot houses filled with the most magnificent long stem roses, all hand-picked and shipped to Europe. He had then wanted to stop Karlin and ask, do you like roses, thousands? But last night he did not say anything. Now in broad daylight he looked at the white folder. Thin, but oh, this was the riverboat for the Yangtze River the beautiful nature scenes of remote China, the Three Gorges Dam. Vorich looked at the blue folder, folder, the small hotel in split Croatia on the Adriatic Sea, a magnificent tiny four-bedroom private little hotel built in the ruins of the Diocletian Palace, a Roman structure. Oh, the architecture, 
the ancient rocks, the statues, the treasures on the outside, as if you lived there a, a thousand years ago, that currently like ancient art and history. Vorich looked at the orange vial. Tanzania, the Serengeti. There was a bush lodge with a hot air balloon and lions that fed at night at the dam right in front of the deck of the lodge. In bright daylight, he looked at the ice-blue file. Whistler, Canada, the ski lodge, high in the mountains, and it slept 24. Ski in, ski out, with a hot pool indoors. There was a pond for ice fishing, snowmobiles, candlelight skiing. Did Carly ski? Did she want to? Vilrich looked at the black folder. Office buildings. In ten cities. His grandfather had bought one to bring income to support the pleasure places that only had expenses, such as the bush house in the Serengeti. That was bought purely for joy and adventure and the smell of Africa. Office buildings in the expensive cities on the earth they paid their taxes and added income. The income from the office buildings was wisely distributed between buying stocks and equities and more land and gold and cash. Some was in cash. There was a secret safe under the kitchen of the house in Panama and then in the garden shed in Whistler. He had to remember to tell Carly. No, Vorich thought. If Carly had an inkling of how much money he was giving her, she would surely run away. He was so glad that he did not tell her the night before, but he had to make a mental note to tell her about the cash. In the bright daylight, he saw the yellow folder. More things. Things worth more than $4 billion. The yellow folder had apartments, penthouses, 35 of them simply so that the clever industry family members could travel easily. Everything that they had at home was duplicated and put into these apartment buildings so that they could travel without luggage and live in the comfort of home, even in a different city. Vulrich smiled. Surely Carly would love the place in Venice, with, it, with its expensive glass windows on a canal looking down on the canal and, and glass dining room table and a rooftop garden. And the suite in Lima in Peru with its magnificent ocean view. Oh, and that chateau in the Swiss Alps. Ulrich's father had bought that. And he got the owner to include the cows and the boutique cheese factory. To this day, they got all the cheese from the Swiss Alps. Good morning, Herr Schneider, Carly said from the door. Is it too early to come in? Guten Morgen, Wolrich said, and Carly sat down. They drank coffee in silence. I have to talk to you, Carly said. I could not sleep last night. So this morning I went to the roof to see the sunrise. I went there to gather the courage to tell you that I did not want your money. <sighs> Nein, Vorich said. He gasped. 
it was true, she would not be his heir. Wait, um, but then, Carly said, Eustacio came. And I changed my mind. Yeah, Vorich said. Eustacio says something? No, Carly said he didn't. But I looked at this man, your banker, young enough to be your son, and I thought about his love for you and and his admiration and his complete trust. And then I knew that you would not make a decision, such a big decision, based on storytelling. There's more to this. So I've come to tell you that I've decided to accept. Ah, ach, danke schön, thank you, Ulrich said. Carly said, I wanted to tell you why I signed without asking any questions. I do not want you to think of me as irresponsible, where there is so much money concerned. What is the reason? <sighs> Carly sighed and she took a sip of her coffee. I am your choice, she said. You have carefully considered all other possibilities. You are not rich by heritage only, right? I think that you actually increased the family fortune without your family and without only relying on financial advisors. Yeah, how do you know this? Vorich said. Carly took a deep breath again. Your demeanor, the way you show up and the way you walk and you talk, your silences and your smiles and the light in your eyes, it says everything. The light? Vorich said. What does this say? Carly smiled. That you are not a typically born rich, arrogant man. Vorich laughed. This you know? This you are sure about? Oh yes, Carly said. I've met so many people with an inferiority complex because of being owned by families with money and important names. It's a big way to carry, you know. She paused. You, you know who you are and you understand your soul's journey. Volrich shook his head. The soul's journey? Carly said. Yes. I saw that after falling from the tree. Volrich frowned. What did you see? I saw how you treated Eustacio. The way that you sat on that plastic chair of humble people's home. Real compassion is a rare quality. They sat in silence for a while. And then Vorich said, All of what you said, that is true about you too. I heard your compassion for the humankind in your voice. What you call a soul's journey, that I heard in every story, in the content, in the opinion, in the descriptions. Carly blushed. I was certain when I made this big decision. Wilrich told Carly that he had conducted a thorough investigation into her past 
and he felt that it was very intrusive if, if he said it out loud now. Carly smiled and she tilted her head. I would have expected nothing less. You are not a careless man. I'm sure you know almost everything about me. And then again, well, almost, because you have a gap or two. Ulrich looked away. Yeah, that is true. Ask, she offered. You're allowed to ask. The the gap is after your husband and your son, the, the, the um, son, the, the Vorich stuttered and stumbled over easy words. It's all right, Carly said. I didn't mind telling her you about that time. She said this with her eyes filled with tears. Her mouth twitched. Pain covered her like a coat of glue. Agony bled from her eyes. Mm, I'm so sorry, Kent. I'm so sorry. Carly held up her hand for him to stop, and she just said, I'll tell you. I was in the car. It was a horrific car crash. I knew we would all die when the truck hit us. I was in a coma for two months. They buried my child and my husband without me. My mother came, and she stayed with me. The moment they discharged me from hospital in Canada, my mother took me home to South Africa, to the house where I was born, where I still have a room. For a year, she cared for me, and I needed the care of a newborn baby. My mother fed me, and she washed me, and she took me into the garden, and she told me stories, and she organized therapies, physio to heal my broken body, and Psychologists to heal my soul, because my soul had died. She stopped. She wiped the tears with her bare arms, and then took two deep breaths. And then two more. Volrich waited. He felt the sorrow building inside him somewhere, in his lungs as if it had filled with acid brain clouds, and his stomach as if it had filled with volcano ash, it burned. He had never been in the presence of so much human agony. Never. After a year, she said, my mother took me to China for two months. China? Warwick said. My mother knows me. She knew that the Chinese culture and the language and communism and 5,000 years of history would drag and pull and beg me back to life. For I'm curious and fascinated by the unknown, and it worked. I wrote my first, my very first story on a very remote part of the Great Wall. It's near a place called Simatai. We hiked 10 kilometers and sat down on a tower from where we could see seven other towers of the mountain peaks. My mother told me about the signals, about smoke and kites and flags and fireworks, a network of communication between people from tower to tower. They did this to give good news and warnings of war and news of famine or floods. My mother asked me to tell the story about people who lived there, 
or maybe the people who built the tower. And I did. Immediately, unwillingly and unknowingly, I had done months of story gathering in seven cities in China. I had seen Tai Chi, flown a kite on Tiananmen Square. I'd been to museums and read about the Forbidden City. So the Great Wall story, that was my mother. I told it once for her on that magnificent wall. It was a brilliant story, really, but told to a mother who had saved my soul. My body would have healed on its own, but my soul, it would have always stayed dead. That story brought my soul back to wanting to live and wanting to tell stories to alleviate the pain in other broken human beings such as me. After that, my mother went home, and I continued to travel to India and then to Burma, and in each country, I did a pilgrimage of sorts. Maybe I tried to find a sadder story or a sadder life than my own, and I did. But that was just for me, for some character building. I decided that my stories would sit in brutal, honest truth, that they would end with hope or joy, or just silliness. For the next 15 months, I travelled to 29 countries. Then one day, I took a plane back to Canada. I went home, and I wrote. I went home to a part-time job at the university to teach about insects. And I went home to a part-time job in a plant centre, where I make bees and butterflies, and where we grow special plants. We grow things that bees and butterflies love. She stopped and smiled at him. But that last little part, you know about that, right? Yeah, Ulrich said. And you make podcasts. Yep, she said. And that's all there is about me. So you can change your mind about me now, now that you know everything. Do you still want me to be your heir, now that you know me better? Now that you've seen more of me? Nein, Vodich said. I'm just more convinced that I made the right choice. But, he abruptly stood up. But, she said and she frowned and she looked at the files. You can change your mind. I am so afraid suddenly, Vodich said. Of what? Carly said. Of all the money corrupting you. I'm afraid that it will climb into you and take away the beautiful soul, that the love of life, your the enthusiasm, your stories will be cluttered and killed by the money. Now that I know you, I want to protect you, mein Kind, you. I now wish to protect you from my world of wealth and the power and the properties and the money. Vilrich called a Kind child for the second time, when he said this. Teach me then, Kali said. What? Teach me how to handle rich. You've done it. You handled it so well. Ach ja, but it took years. Years to finally leave the Germany, the high society, and to understand that I do better on my own. On my small, the island here in Panama, 
I do not thrive in flashy party. Why not? Carly said and it amused her. Ah, uh, it is the company we keep that makes all the difference. Carly smiled. And the company on the island here in Panama is all right? No, nine. Not all right. Perfect. Wait. You want to see the island? Your island? Yeah. Do you want to go to the island now? Carly laughed. <laughs> Do I need an overnight bag? Yeah. Bring all your luggage. Give me twenty minutes, she said, and she stood up. Meet you in the lobby? Nine? Right here. I have the surprise. It took Carly exactly fifteen minutes to return. Ready, she said, and she gave a spin. She was out of breath, excited as a child, as if this were the first birthday party ever. And she was childlike in so many ways, with enthusiasm and rapid movements and quick breaths and bursts of laughter. Ulrich smiled and he held out a key. Do you want to take us there? We can drive there, Carly said. Nine, fly. Come, the helicopter is on the roof. You said to teach you the everything. So how about the helicopter flying? Carly stepped back. No, she swallowed. <laughs> I can't. Joking, Kent. Well, I have the pilot. Helicopters are very tricky things. Very, very finicky. And right there, the adventure began. Their adventure. She had two months off and she had planned to travel with a backpack and a cabin suitcase on wheels and by train and commercial economy class plane and local buses. She was going to go to Cartagena in Colombia. That was the first stop for story gathering, and she would stay in an Airbnb. Carly told him this when they took the elevator to the rooftop. Ulrich listened to her talk, fascinated, how different they were. He'd never set foot on a commercial aeroplane. The family had a fleet of private jets. He'd never been on a bus, a bus. On the ground, they moved in limousines with tinted windows. He'd never carried luggage. Somebody packed a suitcase for him. Somebody else unpacked on the other side. He stayed in their penthouses with cooks and a staff. Carly planned on traveling and staying in the bedroom of, of the locals in Colombia. On the roof, she ran to the helicopter. You really have a helicopter, she said. This feels like the middle of a great fiction novel. What about making this novel even better? Would you mind if we skipped the tropical island? Can we go to Cartagena now? Cartagena? You want to go there now? With me? Ja, ach ja, Vorich said. And so they did. In part five of our story, The Air, we will travel to Cartagena in Colombia with Carly and Wilrich. They will stay in a regular Airbnb. It will be the adventure of a lifetime for Wilrich and a nightmare for Carly. <laughs>